Hello and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities World podcast. We're joined on this episode by the Urban Mobility Partnership's Chris Pritchett to talk mobility as a service, service and information integration, and the potential economic benefits to cities of better connected multimodal transport networks. Chris, welcome along. Great to have you with us. Before we get into the conversation proper, let's get a quick introduction to you, the Urban Mobility Partnership and the kind of work that you're doing. Thanks very much, Luke. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. It's, a, it's great to be here. Um, my name is Chris Pritchett. I'm Head of Mobility at Foot Amnesty, which is a law firm. We're a, a national law firm um, heavily involved in sustainable transport, clean energy, clean technology, uh, and, and also uh, members of the Urban Mobility Partnership, which is what brings me here today. Um, from now on, I will refer to that as UMP. Um, hopefully that's okay um, and tells us what we're about. But, uh, but UMP is a, is a partnership. It's a, a sort of thought leadership group counts for around a billion consumer journeys every year in the UK and it, it's uh, we work with our partners Enterprise, Stagecoach, Nextbike, Brompton, Bike Hire, Mobilio, um, Dot um, and and ourselves. So it's a really good mix of, of operators, commercial businesses and, and really a, our intention is to try and work with policymakers and local authorities, government on, on practical solutions to decarbonisation of, uh, of transport, of increasing the um, the options and the availability of, of mobility in cities, um, but also sort of start to bring some practical solutions to how to deliver that at, at national and regional level. It's a big challenge. I think the intention's definitely there and, and you know, would really like to see ourselves as being able to help and to demonstrate and show and tell what works, bring best practice into it and, um, you know, really deliver some, some meaningful solutions to, to local authorities and government centrally. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, the mix at UMP is, is really great and the way that you want to try and work with those authorities, it really shows the um, the need and in some ways the desire as well for those kind of public and private collaborations and, and cooperation, um, which are going to be crucial to actually being able to get mobility as a service concepts kind of off, off the ground and into the, into the wider public sphere to actually begin operation. And that's that's what we want to talk about here today on on the podcast is is mass as a concept and where we're at and what comes next really. Um, I'm sure it's a conversation you've had uh, probably have every day um, because at the moment when we're talking about mobility, you, you can't you can't escape mobility as a as a service as a as a concept. Um, so to start off, I think it'd be great just to get a, get an idea from you on on how you and and Amp I suppose really define what mass is and i suppose as well the need for clarity in public and private spheres in business for what it is and what it isn't because i think we see over the last sort of five six years as the terms really come to prominence it's used a bit interchangeably in yeah. uh, in in different ways and in different contexts you know for some people it's this um kind of it's the future of mobility and the integration of all those services and data and information into into uh into one kind of service and for others it, it could just simply be uh the on-demand kind of aspect of transportation which is coming to the fore so that's a good place to start absolutely yeah you're quite right it could range from you know simply having you know a ride hail you know that's a mobility it, it's it's a service it, it, it turns up that, that's not how we see it i think urban mobility partnership is, is not a bad metaphor for how we see the the concept as a whole because what you've got there is you know, multimodal operators, be they e-bikes, you know, folding bike hire, you've got buses, you've got car club, car sharing, um, you know, 
all, all sort of coming together and actually being you know accessible as, a, as an integrated part of the solution and i think from for me and for the for the group it's very much where you where you started it's it's the integration of those various modes of transport into a single mobility service which is available and delivered to that customer um, they don't have to take all of those options they don't have to use them all in any one day but they have the option to kind of book a journey plan a journey and pay for a journey using a variety of transport modes in one app um, you know it's all available in their hand and it's there on demand and i think think the real potential and the real exciting aspect of maz is to be able to give the consumer that choice and that flexibility and provide them with the information that they really need in order to make that choice. And I, and I think in doing so, what you can do not only is offer them that, that massive convenience, plus the kind of excitement and the interest and the, um, the range of available options, but you can start to see, you know, start to give people enough flexibility and enough convenience to move them away from a private motor car journey, whether that's, you know, a sort of ride hailing or, um, or their own car. And I think that's the critical thing about Maz is, is the real potential is to deliver something that is a, a, attractive enough to, uh, you know, to match the convenience and flexibility of a private car journey. Yeah, 100%. And that's, you know, that's, that's the, that's the target, isn't it? Is for mobility and shared mobility options and public transport options to actually become that genuine alternative to jumping your, in, in your own car. Um, progress on that is i suppose stilted a bit but it's stilted and i think it pulls down to as you say people sort of using maz a little bit interchangeably i think we see mm. you know it should be i maz really for me it's integrated mobility as a service or or or, or mnm maz um you know multimodal um, mobility as a service i think it's important that we you know it does focus on on the range of options you need to deliver that journey i think particularly compared to a a car journey and you need more than one mode of transport to deliver that same experience and i think the key for us as well is that really it, what we're where we're aiming for is to be able to have a you know one ticket for a multimodal journey so you get from a to b and you know a to b is a series of you know connected and integrated journeys you know that's where the future is i don't think much of Mars discussion is focusing on that at the moment but where we you know where we can be is is to bring all that information together in a single planning and delivery app um, and also, uh, you know, provide people with the options they need to make that choice. And as soon as you've got them, people in that position, you can start to deliver little nudges to, to, to take a different choice or to make a, a different journey decision. Um, and by that, I mean, you could say the cost of an Uber may be 12 quid and it may be here in four minutes. Or the cost of the bus might be three pounds and it might be here in 15 minutes. But if you walk, it's going to take you 27 minutes. Um, but actually we'll give you, you know, a free coffee at the end of it. And then very suddenly someone with one app, one, one journey planning has been given a little nudge to do, to, to walk or has been a little nudge to buy a bus ticket. Um, and you know, once you capture that sort of information, you can see the decisions people make and also the decisions people don't make. You're in a really good position then just to start to kind of, you know, give people a little nudge into a more sustainable or active travel metric or to use public transport or shared, you know, shared transit. Um, and really get cars off the streets, which is, you know, all sort of privately owned cars off the streets, which which has got to be most local authorities' ambition. I think the the other side of that as well is, you know, trying to nudge people in the direction of that kind of mindset change and behavioural change. On a personal level, it you know it, it changes habits. When you scale that up to everyone who has mobility needs within a in an urban area within a city, 
you know, the impact that that can have on the city and some of their wider policy objectives as well can be can be vast. And when you consider, um, you know, taking cars off the street, like you say, personally owned vehicles and how that can c- contribute to sustainability goals and objectives. Um, and then even, you know, scaling that up to the way that shared transportation can become more easily accessible for the masses. Indeed. I mean, I think you look look at a variety of factors at the moment. We've got um, the p- sort of pandemic impact of, pe- of public confidence in, in shared transit, public transit, you know, buses and trains and the like. You've also got a real issue with the high street and decline in footfall in the city centres. And that's something we, uh, the uh, Urban Mobility Partnership, contributed to as part of the Grimsey report. Um, you've also clearly got the environmental air quality imperative. You've got issues with congestion, you've got issues with noise. There's an awful lot of problems, and I, and I think Maz can, to an extent, be an answer to all of them. Um, clearly, I think you know reducing the amount of traffic is great for air quality, noise, and congestion. Um, but I also think it can be a very useful way of incentivizing people to you know to spend time in in cities, to spend their you know time doing other things, you know, linger a bit longer, have have that extra coffee, go to a shop. And I think the power of of a of a, of a, a Maz platform for placemaking. Is, is is maybe not talked about enough. And and the reason I say that is, is, A, if you can kind of make it easy and convenient for people to get in and out of cities, clearly that's important. But I think if you think about the system where people are met a journey planning and they're, they're, they're looking at nudges and they're looking at what to do, I mean, you could integrate that with ticket sales for the local attraction, be it a museum or an aquarium or something. You know, you bang that in there as well. Um, and, and not only have you delivered the, the transport solution you wanted, but you've upsold you've place made you've kind of given people a reason to be in the city for a bit longer you've you've delivered a discount you've you've generated ec- economic activity and you've kept people in the city center and i think you take that one stage further with math it's not just about mobility it's about accessibility you're you're accessing services you're accessing attractions you're um you know being provided with a reason to be to stay in a in a city center and and spending some money and and that generates its own kind of virtuous circle um of a sort of you know an, an, an accessible and sustainable local economy so i you know i get a bit sort of utopian there but it, it's not far off it's not it's not a huge step from being able to book a integrated bus ticket which then gets you onto onto an e-bike for the last mile of your journey to oh, where are you going actually we'll give you a discount on that actually and wouldn't it be great if you visited this while you were here it's not a big step you know it's just collaboration a bit of forethought you know a bit of generosity amongst operators in in allowing that sort of flow of data to, to take place and nobody being too proprietorial about who owns people's information and it's you know it's not far off no not at all it's not far off you're you're absolutely right and um i think when you consider the impact that the pandemic has had on transport operators authorities and kind of city centers you know that yeah. even nominal boost to local economies is going to be extremely welcome well i think everyone's also looking at things like um you know, people are working from home to 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 a greater degree than they ever were, and how how where we sort of end up is is debatable. But the, you know, there's a safe assumption that people may be not commuting quite as much. They may not need two cars in a household, so there'll be more hopefully a greater demand for you know flexible um, travel services and mass. I also think that, the, that there's going to be a massive um, change in commuting habits, and also on the responsibilities of, of employers to look carefully at what they're they're called scope three emissions. You, you may be well aware of this, but these aren't um, emissions that you directly create as a business, but it's the impact of 
sort of ancillary activities, so commuting being the main one. And I think as soon as firms start looking at that and thinking, actually, you know, we've got 500 staff, 300 of them are driving diesel cars into the office, that they're going to have to look at that quite carefully. So I think you've all that coming together. So there's that driver from the private sector as well. Um, and I think that will create a demand for, for local authorities to really work with their private operators and try and get the, um, the MAS platform delivered, you know. Um, and it's important to say now that not every, you know, MAS operation is going to look the same. Um, it really has to be flexible around, you know, the area you're in, the kind of people you're looking to, 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 to drive to use the service, you know, what, what's there already, you know, who the, who the franchise operators are. Um, it, it's a flexible platform, but I think the philosophy and the way it works and the benefits it can deliver are very much in common wherever you are. 100%. So the, the big question is how we get there. Um, you know, your goal at UMP is to, is to work with authorities to try to get these pilots and projects off the ground. Um, but as part of that, there are all sorts of things around standards in, in data and agreements in data around data sharing, for example, Indeed, that are going to be required to be able to make these services and these operations as well as seamless as they can be and as seamless as they need to be to actually provide that true alternative to personal car ownership. Yeah, it's 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 going you know maybe a step further than where we are at the moment, but at the minute it's it's fairly established practice to have an API from a bus operator which will tell you where the buses are and when they're coming, you know, and that can feed into your 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 journey planning app. You know that that's already here, that's already happening, and and if you can combine that with other people's APIs, that's its sort of basic level. I think where we you know it gets a bit more interesting is following that customer journey through and you know integrated ticketing. Um, and that 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 data journey being sort of treated in the same way, and and nobody claiming that's my customer I'm sharing with you. And I think I think that's that also speaks to the need for for local authorities to be the kind of um, organising entity, if you like, um, or or to contract directly with an organising entity, so that there is a you know a way of using that customer's data in in the right way um, and on a sort of equal and fair basis. And more importantly than that, as well, I mean. Bearing in mind that not only is the product here, you know, a better mobility system and a decarbonized city centre and all, all these kind of benefits we've talked about, but also the sheer volume of data that then is generated for the local authority to assist in its its planning process, its its air quality mapping, um, its you know social inclusion metrics, its decarbonisation metrics. The value of that data is immense, um, and I think the operators coming into a MAS situation can and do recognize that that really that's one of the, the most important outputs that the local authority are looking for absolutely it is yeah and you know at smart cities world this year we have we have two key focuses one is mobility the other is climate action and sustainability yeah those two things are incredibly closely linked right and like you say any any participant in a mass project and scheme needs to have that sustainability angle uh, as one of their top priorities to be included within the scheme by the local authority. And I think it, it brings us on to another point that I wanted to raise, which is, you know, the importance for public authorities to maintain control of that rollout and keep their citizens and their riders at, at the heart of that work. Because in the mobility sector more generally, especially in recent years, as it's become more kind of technology led, is you know, it's it's clear 
that the third parties and the technology providers and vendors and innovators are the ones that kind of have the solutions and the products to move move this forward. But it's going to be crucial for the transport and local authorities to actually kind of keep control and keep a lid on maybe some of those uh, some of those wishes from from third parties. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think you're entirely right, and we, you know, we've had a, a bit of experience sort of acting on both sides of the picture, actually, and understanding, mm. you know, and I, and I think you, you said it right in the intro there, Luke. I mean, public and private collaboration um, is not simply working together. You know, it it is adopting a collaborative mentality and looking to drive a project forward, and I think that requires, you know, both parties or both sides, you know public and private sector operators to to genuinely engage in projects in a, in a in a meaningfully collaborative way and that 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 requires you know that's not cooperation that's different this requires a kind of certain generosity and, and possibly even a, a little bit of a, a moving away from what you've always done um, and that's how things get that's how things get done properly that's how they get moved forward um ump has done you know a couple of great trials already we've we've done one up in um up in scotland with a new go high app which was looking at um, also sort of rural mobility in the highlands of Scotland um, and really showing there that the MAS isn't just about cities, you know, where there's lots of options, lots of infrastructure, but it can and should, more importantly, dovetail with intra-urban transport. So bringing people into the cities and then what happens, you know, it's, it's got to be regional. Um, and then also um, members uh, did some work with Transport for Greater Manchester and Manchester Airport Group um, for, with their employees to try and sort of look at the commutes to and from the airport. And and again, that sort of demonstrated a big increase in public transport. So, you know, whilst I agree with you that um, it should have a sustainable focus, I think we can safely assume that the more people who are using either active travel methods or, you know, shared mass transit or or car sharing, you know, if they're, if they're using a car club, it's probably because they're not using or they don't own their own private motor car or they're not bringing that car into the city. So almost, you know, if this is a success, you know, commercially, it's probably delivering a massive sustainability benefit. Yeah, one hundred percent. And the the other side of sustainability as well is the sustainability of the kind of business model and uh, the operational yeah. side of it. You know, if we if we look back to two three years uh, where we were in twenty nineteen with a lot of these um, mobility as service pilots kind of launching, and there being questions then as to you know whether the business case is sufficient enough and whether the economics of it are going to be beneficial enough for operators and authorities, you know, at this stage of the pandemic, where does that leave us now? It's a very good question. And and you're absolutely right in that people ask, you know, what about sustainability? Sustainability means you've got to make a profit or at least you've got to make enough money to still be here in five and 10 years time. And and you're absolutely right. That is the question for the, um, for the business models involved here. But I think we also have to remember that, you know, the pandemic causes almost an existential crisis for certain parts of that multimodal, Mm -hmm delivery chain you know buses in particular have had a really rough ride um you know they are going to require help but they also they have to modernize broaden their appeal and you know i I do think sort of collaboration with other operators mass platforms which are driven by and marketed by or on behalf of you know a local authority is a great way to do that you know it it brings people into that decision making ecosystem um where all the commercial operators should benefit um it makes them more sticky it creates more sort of brand loyalty you know again i think it, it you know the, the the manchester thing was was white labeled as a transport for greater manchester product so you know it's sort of invisible behind the scenes the operators making it work 
um, but create something that you know the local authority are really proud of and really then incentivized to kind of try and get people involved with. But yeah, you're quite right. It's it's got to be um, it's got to be sustainable. But I think that that can and should only be um, about bringing more people into the service and onto the platform. You know that will drive more traffic your way. And then in a way that this is all the carrot that incentivizes people to to use these more sustainable transport options. The stick may well be clean air zone. It may be diesel free zone. Mm-hmm. It may be you know increases in road taxes it may be congestion charging it may be any number of disincentives to bring and that that will also have, or have an effect and if you then on the flip side you've got your your mass platform which really sort of pushed hard at those people who you know really want to make that journey but are kind of you know fighting against the kind of the, the restrictions that have just been in place that's when it really has meaningful change so this is the carrot if we get it right there's any number of sticks that are coming down the track at the same time yeah for sure i think you know when you when you consider what those sticks are as well like you say clear clean air zones and and those kinds of uh, measures and, and policies increasingly the environmental impact of a, of a journey is factoring into people's thinking in you know how they plan a journey and what journey they take how they take it whether they take it not necessarily because it's uh, uh you know a, a negative for them financially but because of the impact it's going to have on uh on the environment on on the city where they where they live it's yep. it's another thing to co- to consider but it's um maybe not quite in the forefront of a passenger's mind as it as it will be in the next few years i think it will i think the sh- emphasis got to shift as well you know and, and is doing to um you know we've we've got sadly you know sadly a bit into you know death figures and learning about the people mm. in the UK that die every year and comparing that to, to the people that died through through a COVID-related cause. But I think that if that does nothing else other than focus the impact on the number of deaths that are, you know, very strongly linked as a direct result of poor air quality in urban areas, you know, this is this is the focus that we should have. And I think people who, you know, we have this conversation all the time about the kind of the carbon impact of an electric vehicle and, and, and all this kind of stuff and, you know, supply chain issues and, you know, what do you, what resources you have to mine, all that kind of stuff. The, but the reality is, you know, air quality issues in the UK are killing 35, 40,000 people a year directly, you know, and that's young children, that's um, people of all ages. And I think that in itself is a reason to focus on this if you're a local authority or, or a responsible operator. Um, more broadly, clearly it is also about delivering that air quality benefit more widely to the city. But but really, it, you know, for me, that goes hand in hand with the economic opportunity um, to bring people back into the city centres, back into their workplaces, back into their communities um, and get people to generate that activity. Because, you know, we have got, you know, if, if the pandemic did nothing else, it also accelerated that desire for sort of things to come to your house, you know, or your, or your flat or wherever you live, mm-hmm. you know, things being delivered to you. And, and really, we have to step up our game to get people to go to stuff again. You know, and make it something that they really want to do. You know, they're excited to do. You know, and 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 you know, as I say, it goes hand in hand with the high street regeneration. It goes hand in hand with employers looking at how their staff travel and how they recreate that sort of sense of community within a workplace. Um, and and you know, the answer is the same whichever way you look at it. Definitely, and like you say, the pandemic definitely definitely impacted people's mindsets in that way. In that everything is going to come to me. We we live in an always-on economy now, and that's not a direct impact of the pandemic. That was always the case beforehand. 
but I think there's probably going to be it's, it's probably going to be the case that you know as we continue to kind of come out of the pandemic a little a little more and a little more each day um people's patience and tolerance for things that don't work and don't work as they expect them to or want them to is going to be especially low um so yeah. those these services need to you know they do need to be seamless they do need to be on time and and work as people would expect yeah. probably 99 percent of the time it, it's about trust isn't it and um mm. you know we we did some there's a the, you know some famous work about the 15 minute city about this idea that everything is accessible within about 15 minute journey uh and we did some work quite recently on looking at rural mobility and talking about maybe a 30 minute village out of town and here's this question it's not necessarily just about the journey but it's about being able to access that stuff you know quickly and reliably but you kind of think how things have come on in um you know a short space of time and you know my my eldest son he gets the bus into school you know he checks his app he knows exactly where the buses are um if he wants to you know off peak times he could travel you know he, he can't travel off peak because he'd be late for school um <laughs> if you, dylan if you're listening don't get any ideas but you know <laughs> the use of technology and, and sort of booking ahead systems to book your seat or to try and you know get real-time data on which buses are not crowded you know these are met- methods which transport companies can use to bring people back onto mass transit um in a way that gives them a degree of control and they can feel safe they can trust it they know it's gonna be on time they know what the journey is going to be so that, you know particularly in this you know hopefully emerging from pandemic era that that question of trust and reliability and just sort of being able just to to know to control a few variables i think is really important um but as you say just you know you don't want to be that guy or that person that visits the city for the first time goes well i'm going to use public transport i'm going to get the bus and then for some reason there's a bus delay and you're waiting 40 minutes in the rain the next time you come to the city you're not going to do it um so it is as you say it's a fragile confidence at the minute across whichever mode of transport you're looking at and i think you know really got to deliver those benefits and um you know make people want to want to use that service um you know getting on buses now you know some, they've got leather seats they've got usb charging got free wi-fi it's an absolute joy you know <laughs> so yeah really it can it can be you know delivers so many benefits i think it just just needs to be sort of put in front of people in a way that they can make a choice and, and like so many choices that's that's through the phone definitely i think you know there's a that that it feels like there's a real opportunity in this kind of new year already not that new uh alarmingly but oh, no, you know it, it, it really is uh it feels like there's an opportunity to kind of restart and reset and to some extent you know pick up where some of these mass schemes and pilots left off in you know at the end of 2019 start of 2020 before all of the covid disruption um obviously you know kind of restart with with a few more changes and a few more ideas especially around things like travel information and uh crowdedness information and the the confidence that that'll give people to uh to travel and and try new modes and new journeys and more multimodal and more sustainable trips as well you know where does um where does that leave you with with ump in your work and um you know what what opportunities and what work do you have coming up this year that is going to kind of help along that journey and also make sure that local governments are to some extent at least more aligned with the central government objectives around sustainability and air quality um it's, it's a very good set of questions i mean i think we're anticipating a very busy year 
um, we we're kind of keen to um, yeah just just ex- explore the potential really. And I think you know it, it it's not straightforward to get anything off the ground, you know. And I kind of all power to the local authority champions that are really pushing mm. this forward, and and they work amongst a you know any number of constraints. But I think what also what's changed in the last couple of years actually, whilst these things have been kind of you know gestating perhaps more than we expected, but um, is to recognise that that wider opportunity from Mars, and and it's not just about you know the transport system. It's it's about um, you know reshaping the way the city works. You know, and, and working with your kind of campus-based employers. It's working with your, your digital strategy people, your marketing people, your placemaking people, your tourist office, and and actually that that's starting to come through now as a really exciting opportunity. Um, it, it's not an easy, it's not straightforward implementation, and I think um, people should. And you know, rightly be focusing on getting those modes of transport sorted out, and and you know, looking at the impact of the trials that have been happening on e- micro mobility and e-scooters, e-bike take up, really, really getting that delivery model firmly done. But I think the the mass evolution coming off the back of that is 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 huge. And um, you know, we talked about carrots and sticks earlier. I'm quite excited as well. There was a, a trial that the um, members were involved in to deliver mobility credits which was um you know designed around if you you know scrap your car scrap your diesel car you you'll get a chunk of credits for mobility journeys you know and, and that could be depending on what you what your journeys are that could be you know a couple of years worth of of travel you know and that's an amazing way to say okay you don't really need the car but you know what we're kind of through the through various modes of transport we'll underwrite your journey for the next you know 18 months or two years i mean that a massive leap into into getting people to to focus on whether they really really need that car um i think in terms of what we've got coming up the, we're, we're really pleased to see the dft released the mass code of practice which is something that i've been pushing for um, and really just sort of help build the framework for local authorities to to ensure that um you know that user is at the heart of the decision making um and that that really people don't spend loads and loads of money delivering a product that no one's going to want to use because that's that's the ultimate risk really um you know, these things are not you know, they're not designed overnight they're not you know they're not necessarily it requires a commitment to, to invest but um you know it's got to be something that people want to use and will, will be the right thing um and give people a you know a clear vision for their area and their project so we're really excited about that you know we're looking forward to having those discussions with local authorities and to um you know to deliver on those you know those options which would be great um and in terms of work got coming up there's, there's there's you know plenty more of that for, for for local authorities and for private operators but you know with a real focus on just you know restarting cities in the right way and and you know employers restarting their sort of commuting journeys and, and using it as an opportunity to just reset and start to introduce the right kind of behaviors and the right kind of structures so um it's gonna be a busy year definitely sounds like it will be but lots of good stuff coming up and um like you say with with guidance from the DFT as as well, you know, hopefully that gives gives authorities and collaborators a, a, a bit more confidence and a bit more willingness to 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 try and get these kinds of systems and, and schemes off the ground to to better connect the kind of mobility systems that that we have in in the UK specifically. You know, it can feel like our transport systems are especially kind of disconnected and, and disparate sometimes um, with uh, with not much interoperability between kind of d- 
different transport systems in different towns and cities. I think there is an opportunity to start to address that this year and over the next few years for sure. Yeah, indeed. Um, I think I think the, yeah, as you say, the importance of interoperability is is massive. You know, it's a word we use a lot in connection with EV charging, for, for particularly. But but I think making sure that you know separate commercial operators are able to work together, they're able to you know provide their data to a to a platform in a way that works with other people's data um, and can then be analyzed and aggregated and you know anonymized and for use by the local authority or by a you know a separate data layer but um, that again I, I use this word you know collaboration is overused but I think you know genuine collaboration is 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 not as prevalent as we'd like to think um, and I do think that requires a you know degree of generosity and a degree of open-mindedness and, and a real intention to deliver a project for you know the wider benefit um, and that's i think what will sit behind the successful businesses in this space you know and in doing so you know they'll make good profits and they've got to make their margins and they've got to you know drive their returns but i, th- I think they have to you know all parties need to go into this with with really open minds and, and, a, and a willingness to um you know to maybe just you know compromise a little bit on what they've always done before and and look to do things that just a little bit different and i think that will reap benefits for everybody yeah, and I do think that's that's where the successful businesses will be. 100%. I think that is a suitably optimistic <laughs> note to end on, probably. Um, but thank you very much indeed for uh, for taking the time out, coming in to, to speak with us on the, on this podcast. Very much appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been great to speak with you. And uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time. So thank you very much. Great stuff. Thank you, Luke. Thanks again, Chris. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in as well. We'll be back with another new episode in just a few weeks' time. But in the meantime, head to smartcitiesworld.net to become a member and get your regular fix of news and views on the latest smart and sustainable urban trends. Stay safe and we'll catch you next time.